Jesus Christ is risen. Alleluia. And for fear of him, the, the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. So they departed quickly from the uh, tomb with fear. Then Jesus said to them later on, do not be afraid. Easter is a time of great joy. We got the hallelujahs back. We got flowers and music and celebration. Easter, however, begins with fear. Did you ever consider Easter begins with fear? That's how it begins according to Matthew. This morning, church bells are ringing all across the country. Most church doors are open, unlike last year. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to church this morning, some dressed up for the once-a-year occasion of going to church. They'll take pictures with relatives in front of the church, in front of the altar, in front of the cross. Probably not thinking, though, this morning that it begins with fear. What kind of fear, though? Well, this morning, I'll use a trendy acronym of fear you can find in some psychology books today. Fear. False evidence appearing real. What's the false evidence appearing real on Easter Sunday? Well, Jesus had, ding, yeah, number one. Can you make that happen for each one of my points here? Jesus had been brutally beaten, mercilessly maimed, and buried haphazardly. So his ministry, over. His movement, finished. His cause to lift up the poor, the downtrodden, and free the oppressed, done. All hope, lost. Easter begins with great fear. Fear or false evidence appearing real. Now, I use that uh, trendy acronym for fear because we know the evidence of Jesus' death and burial wasn't false. It was real, but we know it was only temporary. Jesus' friends, family, and followers, however, believed it was permanent. They didn't know. It appeared permanently real to them. But Matthew also shows us Easter replaces fear with faith. How about this acronym for faith? Forsaking all, I take Him. Hmm? Him, of course, being Jesus. And we'll get back to faith in a minute. We begin with fear, though, because that's how the first Easter begins, as Matthew shows us. As much as we try to deny it, fake it, and stuff it under the carpet, we all live in fear, false evidence appearing real. Sometimes it seems there's a, a monster around every corner, and it's just a matter of time before he leaps out and chews us up along with our family, our friends, our finances, whatever. Fear whispers in our ear, there's trouble out there. So we don't sleep well, we don't whistle while we work, 
And when others whistle while they work, we give them that look, you know? Like, really? Are you that naive? Haven't you read the news and read the reports and seen the studies? The vaccine isn't fully tested yet. The 737-800 MAX isn't safe enough to fly on yet. More shootings in Portland than ever. But hey, the housing market's pretty good. Let's all sell and make money and downsize. Oh, you can't. You can't afford anything else. What if the market crashes? The other shoe's going to drop any day. Fear attacks us with those two words. What if? What if I don't close the sale? What if I don't get the bonus? What if she doesn't love me? What if my insurance won't cover the procedure? What if my child isn't keeping up academically with distance learning? Fear can twist us into emotional pretzels, and we'll numb our fear with six-packs and food binges and binge-watching, and we'll, we'll express our fear with anger and silent stares. We're, we're experts at both. Do not fear, though, Jesus says, and the angel, too. I want to show you an, an interactive visual aid going back 500 years to the time of Martin Luther. This is the Isenheim altarpiece in France, and it was created for a monastery that cared for people with skin diseases. So I hope you can see, if, if you notice, Christ has a skin disease in the painting. He's got lesions all over him. And this was to show the patients at this monastery that Jesus understands and sympathizes with their plight, their fear. Because the people at this monastery were afraid their skin disease might kill them. What is it for you? What do you think will kill you? Jesus understands. Jesus identifies. Jesus empathizes. Because Jesus knows. Mary, the mother of Jesus, knows all about fear. In the altarpiece there on the bottom section, Mary is collapsing in anguish in the arms of John, Christ's beloved disciple. A mother's greatest fear comes true. She witnesses the death of her son. John the Baptist also appears there with a lamb pointing his finger symbolizing the sacrifice of Jesus. This isn't a historically necessarily accurate rendition because John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod Antipas in 29 AD. He could not have witnessed the Christ's death. He was already dead. But the artist, Gruenwald, included that scene to remind us what John the Baptist said about Jesus as recorded in John 1:29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that's written right above him in Latin. You probably can barely see that. That's another important point of false evidence appearing real. What looks world-ending is actually life-giving. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, all of it. That's because Jesus is a redeemer. 
a redeemer who creates beauty from ashes. Now, as I mentioned earlier, this, this altarpiece is interactive. It doesn't just sit there looking like that. You can do things with it, right? There are panels on this thing that you can move in and out and in different ways. We got to get one of these Isenheim altarpieces. Where can we get one of these? And this thing was way ahead of its time in the 1500s. So you see the two painted wings on the outside there. Those can be moved and others can be, I don't know exactly how it works, but others can be brought out. And you can change this thing to, to, to show different scenes at different times of the church year. When, the wing, when those two wings are closed, the altarpiece shows the crucifixion only. That's all you can see. Christ hanging on the cross, his body discolored by a greenish hue, and he's got those wounds covering his sick body. So all you can see is suffering, rejection, death, death on a cross. Now, if you move those outer panels a certain way, on Easter... This is the same piece, slightly, it's a different photograph, so it's a slightly different look, but it's the same thing. Christ bursts forth from the tomb there on the right. Death has no more dominion over him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life in the painting. Christ's hands are raised in blessing. Behind him in orange and startling yellow, a sun rises against the sky. Swirls of yellow, white, red, and Blue garments adorn our Savior. But there's a startling feature of this painting, of the resurrection, and that is those little red dots on Jesus' hands. You maybe barely can see them where you are, but if you were to get up to this altarpiece, you'll see the artists placed rubies in Christ's hands and on his feet and his side. Rubies from scars. Our Redeemer, Jesus, created beauty from ashes and rubies from scars. Now, that's the artist's interpretation, right? Jesus didn't actually have rubies in his wounds when he, when he was resurrected. But this is what Gruenwald wants the viewer with fear to see, that Jesus creates beauty from death. The disciples' fear, rejection, and desertion the flogging and the mocking, the nails and the spear, beauty is the result. Why? Because death is dead. Sin is forgiven. And hope is eternal. The victory is won. What looks world-ending is life-giving. And Jesus said it would happen. Five times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says he, was, he would rise from the dead. Five times, Jesus says, I must go up to Jerusalem, suffer many things there, be killed, and on the third day be raised. Five times, Jesus says that. Still, the disciples chose fear over death. Or, I'm sorry, fear over faith. They abandoned Jesus on Thursday. Only one of them stands at the cross on Friday. And on Sunday, they all hide behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. It's so easy to choose fear over faith. In the 1980s, Soviet newspapers began run, running more and more of these stories about 
Soldiers who had deserted during the war, World War II I'm talking about, spent years in hiding, usually back at home, in the barn or in the attic, and then reappearing in their towns and villages to the surprise of everyone who thought they had died in battle. One such deserter was Pavel Navratsky, who spent 41 years in a pigsty, 41 years in manure during the cold winters in the Ukraine and the hot summers. The deserter, bearded, ragged, and unwashed, now 74 years old, was found by astonished villagers only after the death of his wife, whom he had terrorized into hiding and feeding him. The newspaper said that when the terrified Pavel came face to face with strangers for the first time in four decades, all he could find to say was, will I be punished? As in his case, he was spared punishment by the authorities with the sentiment that nobody in the world could punish him as harshly as his own fear had punished him. Fear does that. We end up living in manure. And guess what happens? Life stinks. You know, Easter can be so much more than the one day you put on your best clothes and go to church. I know you're going to have a nice brunch this afternoon, or Mama's got a roast in the oven for you. But today, let Jesus replace your fear with faith. And I'm talking much more than therapy, after all, because Jesus is not a therapist. He makes all things new, including you, your body, your mind, your soul. Your life in Christ was made new in your baptism, and you will rise from death again, physically, and live on a new earth where there will be no more fear. And faith? Well, faith in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will be perfect. Would you rather live by faith or by fear? Faith. That's right. Let's hear it. Yeah. Then here's the angel's promise for you. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. We can trust what Jesus says. We can trust what the angel says, because the angel's a messenger of God. We can trust what Jesus says when he says, I took away your sin, I conquered death, I'm alive bodily and eternally, and I'm returning to perfect your body and restore the entire creation. Fear be gone. Live in faith. Do you know what the most frequent command in the Bible turns out to be? What, what instruction, what order do you think is given repeatedly by prophets, by angels, by Jesus, by the, apostle, by the apostles? What do you think? Be good? Be holy? Nope. Don't sleep during the sermons? No. The most frequent command in the Bible is, yeah, fear not. Do not fear. Three 165 times in Scripture, some iteration of do not fear or have no fear appears in the Bible. That's, that's one of those for each day of the year for us to remember. Do not fear. And why is that? 
Because living in fear is like living in manure. It stinks. Do you have children in school? Do not fear. Do you have teenagers or young adults? (laughs) Do not fear. Has everything gone terribly wrong? Do not fear. Are you sick? Do not fear. Is your heart broken? Do not fear. Say after me, I know that my Redeemer lives. Indeed, He does. So, take Him. You can take Jesus. After all, He's already got you in His hands. Faith, forsaking all, I take Him. Our Redeemer, Jesus, creates life from death, joy from sadness, and beauty from ashes. All for you. Amen.